Well, good morning to you. And it's nice to see we're probably at our capacity of 15% and some are probably in the gym. And uh, you don't know as a pastor that kind of really hurts me because I know people like to sit in the auditorium. And uh, I know it's a turnoff if you come a little bit later and have to go to the gym. And unfortunately, right now, it's our reality. And uh, so thank you if you're in the gym. And uh, hello to you way over there. And uh, those of you watching online, uh, welcome to the service. We have a new member to welcome into membership this morning, Barb Cuthbert. Uh, She'll be popping up right there. Let's welcome her with a clap. I think we're always trying to look for the silver linings in COVID, and we've had more members come into membership in the last year of COVID than we've had in years, and I don't know why. You can explain it to me if you understand it, but that's okay. I have a question to start off before I pray to start the service. Let me ask you, do you believe Jesus is on the move? Let me follow that up with a little more personal question. Do you believe he's on the move in your life? Let me follow that with even a little more of a personal question. Is he king in your life? Is he king in your life? I generally struggle with dates like this, Easter, Palm Sunday, Christmas, uh, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all those kind of special days. I just, I I really struggle with trying to come up with a message that's new, creative, and uh, part of my journey in the last three or four years is, I've always done this to a point, but especially when I was first preaching, I used to really rely on God leading me. I'd be like, in my week going, is there anything going on that God could use this Sunday in a sermon? Anything at all. I mean, I'd write it down, I'd think about it. And then as I read books, went to courses, I became much more proficient at public speaking, and I became very good at putting together, and I'm going to say this in a negative way, I was very good at putting a talk together. But what I believe happened is my preaching began to dry up from the Holy Spirit. And so this week, uh, just to tell you, went into Tuesday, Uh, it's when I really get at it for the sermon on Sunday. And uh, I, I had some anxiety about it. What am I going to do? I don't know. And, and I just got this sense, take all four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have Palm Sunday in them. So I put them all in my uh, computer on the screen. I'm reading through them, comparing them, all that kind of stuff. And then I'm asking God, okay, what do you want to do with this? Let me tell you what happened. Friday, I had to cut half the material out that I had. And I do believe, and buying the response of the first service, I do believe God gave me something fresh. And it might be old, but in a fresh way for you to hear today. About what does Palm Sunday really speak to us as individuals? Let me encourage you. Keep developing a relationship with God We heard a little boy, what was he, a year and a half, two years old, who God gave him a song. If a one and a half year old can do it, so can you. Like, we sang that song that we just ended with, with lots of good orthodoxy, lots of good, uh, what do we believe? And that's important, because if you don't believe right, it's really not gonna be helpful in your practice. 
But we as a church really try to emphasize orthopraxy. Now, this is a Christian Missionary Alliance thing going right back to the 1800s. A.B. Simpson, a Canadian who started the alliance from Nova Scotia, uh, first church was Hamilton, Ontario, then ended up in the States and then New York City and started what we call the Christian Missionary Alliance. A.B. Simpson, through his life, he, he learned lots of good doctrine and orthodoxy. He gave his heart to Jesus. But over his years, he began to learn that there's a, what he called a deeper Christian life to be lived. And I have come to believe even more, and this morning I got the privilege again to pray with Dell and Phyllis uh, Davis. Uh, they were in the gym with me along with some other people to pray for this service. And I, I looked up at Dell at one point and I said, even Dell, I've seen growing. And I teased him and I said, and he's getting old. And he gave me a fist, rightfully so. You know, if God isn't king of your life, if you're not growing, if you've become complacent, or you believe this is all I got, I, I got some idiosyncrasies, I, you know, you might, might be a person, you blow your top, or you get all quiet, or, or you just get sullen for days, it's like, just who I am. It's my past, it's my hurt, it's my pains, I don't know what to do with it. Let me tell you that Jesus wants to touch you. He wants to grow you. Uh, Christian sociologists, now sociology is a study of man's behavior. Christian sociology, I learned this in college, will tell you it takes three generations for Christian morality and ethics to really take hold in a family. I believe our founder, A.B. Simpson, and we're going to be having a beautiful series in two weeks just after Easter about who Jesus is. I believe our founder, A.B. Simpson, really hit the nail on the head that there is more to Christianity than just fire insurance. Do you know what that means? I'm going to heaven. Ooh, good. That's great. Where are you at today, though? Let me encourage you to keep developing your relationship with God. I want to tell you my marriage is better. I mean, I've always been a guy that apologizes easily because I know I'm a buffoon. And when I think I'm so proud, you know, and I go up to my wife and tell her, you know, you're so lucky to have me as a husband. Man, that pride, my wife would just poke me in the eyes. If you think she's a sweet, mild-mannered woman, you got her wrong. She would poke me in the eyes. I'm a better dad. In the last three years, I'm a better dad. And I'm learning to be a better boss with the staff. And you know what, I'm 60 years old. I could potentially retire in five years and I could say to myself, what do I need to, I, I know what I need to know now. I'm still being mentored. The guy that's mentoring me now, he's about 45. He's been a pastor a lot less than me. But I'm learning. If I get so full of pride, what happens when you have pride? It comes to a fall. And we need to have humility, and we need to grow, and we need to let Jesus be king. And, and let me tell you, it's just so important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into the sermon, would you just come? Would you open up our hearts and our ears? Let our eyes see. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. When we read the Bible, we start to see a really interesting thing that 
the world is in a bad state. The prince of this world, who's the prince of the world? It's not Jesus, just saying. It's the devil. And all you have to do is, I, I opened up the news yesterday. I don't watch the news anymore because I, I can't make it through a news program. You know, the bad news sells, so they really spin it bad. And uh, so I pick and choose headlines. But the first five, I read the first headline. It was something like, uh, numbers in Ontario double with COVID. The second headline was, variants are on the rise. We better all die and burn. I mean, that's not what it said, but that's what I read. You know, the third line was, uh, uh, vaccine is going too slow. And I, I just go, oh, come on, like one story that I'd want to read. Like, I know things are the way they are. Come on. Like, give me some encouragement. And, and this world, the, the prince of this world, he's reigning. But you know what? This is the exciting part. We're talking about vaccines and whether you're an anti-vaxxer, you can't be an anti-vaxxer about this. We as Christians have a vaccine. It's called Jesus. And the more we grow and are healed in his presence and in his relationship, the more we are inoculated from the evil of this world, it won't affect us. It won't infect us. It won't cause us to behave badly. The longer and the more we walk with Jesus, the more the Holy Spirit has control of us, the more exciting it gets to be a person in this evil world. And though we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. We must keep discovering Jesus. And the God stories that we're putting at the start of the service are trying to motivate all of us, myself included, to get to know him more. Today is Palm Sunday. As we walk through what happened one week before Jesus was killed on a cross, as we walk through this journey of seeing what exactly happened in that week, may it prepare you for Good Friday. We're having a service, 10 o'clock. There's an ad for you. And then Sunday, Friday's here, but Sunday's the coming. The resurrection's coming. But let's be prepared. So turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 9. The reason we're going there because all four accounts in the Gospels of Palm Sunday, basically this is one of their cornerstone verses and then there's another verse from Psalm they use. But this is really one of the key verses. And it's very important because the scriptures always needed to show that there was a prophecy said and then a prophecy fulfilled and Jesus fulfilled a lot of prophecies. And it's really important to understand this is one that he fulfilled. Now, Zechariah, as he's writing this in chapter 9, Israel is a mess. They are, they are being attacked. They are being oppressed. They are being killed. They are being persecuted. They are very discouraged. Listen to what the prophet Zechariah says. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. Now, this is Israel. Listen to this. See, your king comes to you. Usually if you needed help, you went to the king. But in this case, the king is coming to you. Righteous and victorious. Oh, and I love these words. Lowly, hum humble, not full of pride, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, here's the important thing to understand about this verse. In those days, if the king rode in on a horse, it was a call to war. If the king rode in on a donkey, it meant that there was peace. 
And so we know that the symbolism of this prophecy is that Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, was coming into the world, and seven days later, he would be hung on a cross. Why? To bring peace. Bring peace, first of all, between us and God and between each other. This is what Jesus Christ came to do. And by the way, the disciples had it completely wrong. They didn't know what was going on. They thought, like most of the Jews of the day, and you'll see that in the text that we go into, most of the Jews of the day, they were convinced Jesus or this Messiah would come and raise up a huge army and kick out, at that time, the Romans who were oppressing them and ruling them, and they would be free to be Jews. They would be free to worship. They would be able to do whatever they wanted to do, and it was going to be glorious. So this is what's on the minds of the disciples and everybody as Jesus comes riding triumphantly into Jerusalem. But I want to start with reading in Matthew 21, verse 1, and I want you to pay attention to something that's really important. Right off the bat, you're going to see that Jesus knows things. And Jesus sees things that we don't. Verse 1. As they, the disciples and Jesus, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say to the Lord, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, I want you to pay attention because if that was me, if your boss said to you, I want you to drive into Sexsmith, and you're going to see a, a, a Dodge Diesel there. The keys are going to be in it. Go to get in it and bring it to me. And if anybody comes up to you, just say, the master needs it. And they'll send you on your way. I mean, I'd be going, uh, is this person a cousin of yours? Like, have you phoned ahead? Like, is it going to be okay? But you see, when they were spoken to by Jesus, at this point in their ministry, these disciples said, okay, Jesus knows things. Jesus sees things. Verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And again, Jesus can see things that we cannot see. Have you ever had a time in your Christian life when you had this strong sense. Let's say you were driving somewhere in your car and you had this strong sense, I need to stop for the night. Oh, I remember one time I had the strong sense and I didn't. And uh, my wife and I ended up paying $150 for the tow truck bill getting me out of the ditch. Or maybe you had a stance, I better check my oil and the oil was empty. Or I got to phone my mother. And your mother's like, oh, it was so good that you called me. It was just perfect. Or you hear later, like, that visit you gave me, it was so timely. And you're going, wow, I'm pretty good. But no, the Holy Spirit leads us. Years ago, my wife and I needed a new minivan. We were pastoring in Tumblr Ridge. We came to Grand Prairie. We went to all the dealerships, and we found this beautiful van. I mean, me as a guy, I was so thrilled. It was a Ford Aerostar, Eddie Brower edition, 
I mean, it had running boards and it had a stereo that rivaled, you know, anything in this church that we would have. I mean, I could just make the windows rattle. It had leather seats. It had air conditioning. I mean, I was just in love with this van. It was used, had a few kilometers on it. And so I remember the salesman, he's going, so you're going to buy it? I'm like, well, we need to think about it. Well, it could be gone. You better sign now. And I'm like, no, we need to go pray about it. He's like, ah. He goes, I, you know, I, there was somebody looking yesterday. You know, you know how they play the game. And I'm like, no, we need. So my wife and I left, and we stopped. And I said, well, let's pray and ask the Lord. I think they were asking like $9,000 for it or something. Let's stop and pray and ask God what we should offer for it. And we prayed. And, uh, you know, for me, because I really wanted it, I'm like, I think he wants us to offer 8000 So I wanted to be close. And if you didn't know, usually they'll come down $500. But... 8,000, it's got to be of God. My wife goes, no, I heard 7,500. No, she said seven, I think. And, uh, and I'm saying, okay, okay, so what do we do? And then I thought, well, let's come have, we'll say 7,500. Sounds about right. You know, you really didn't want to buy a van. I really want this van, so maybe seven. So I remember going back to the salesman. I said, okay, we can offer you 7,500 on this 9,000. He goes, well, let me check with the boss. You know, I love that one. They let you sweat it out a bit. Comes back. You know, the boss says... $8,000, and you can have it. And I'm like, well, no. And, and I wanted to, I looked at my wife, and she's shaking her head. She knew I was going to take the 8000 and she goes, and I said, no, 7500 And the guy goes, so you're going to walk away from this deal for $500? And I said, well, I said, are you going to give up the deal for $500? So he goes, well, that's what the boss said. I said, okay, that's fine. We get up to go, and he's going, seriously, you're leaving? I'm sorry, unless you're willing to come down to 75. And he goes, shook his head. And we walked out. Drive back to Tumblr's before internet time. And one of the guys in my church was a mechanic. And I tell him what had happened. He goes, oh, my goodness, he said. He said, I had that year of that van, almost every one of their engines blew. And if their engines didn't blow, their transmissions went. And I'm sitting there going, oh, my goodness. Boy, did God just save me. You know, Jesus knows things. That you and I don't know. Yeah, you might have all the doctrine and the right beliefs, and that's good. But you need to get in a relationship with him. You need to start hearing him. I mean, if a one-and-a-half-year-old can hear a song, then surely we can. Jesus knows and sees things. And so many of us have a funny or a wrong idea about Jesus. Jesus, to us, is like a good luck charm that we throw in. You know, we've just done all... Jesus gave me a brain to figure this out. So you figured out all the math. You figured out all the financing. You figured out, you know, I can buy this business or I can start this business or whatever it is. And you think, okay, well, we better, you know, phone the pastor and tell him to come over and pray for us. And, you know, let's sprinkle some Jesus magic dust on it all and hope it all works out. Wouldn't it be better if we, at the beginning of the whole process, started talking to Jesus about it? We might be shocked and surprised because Jesus honestly knows things. And the disciples, they had the wrong idea about Jesus as he gets on that colt, that, that colt that nobody had ever ridden before. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, is, and the colt's not freaked out. He feels the peace flowing out. And Jesus goes into Jerusalem and the disciples and everybody there has it wrong. Verse 8, listen to this. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees. And by the way, the book of John, it's... Story of this text says it was palm branches. It's the only one that mentions palm branches. 
And they spread the palm branches, likely, on the road. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted these words. Now, this comes from Psalm 118. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Now, that's pretty good praise for some guy who just been preaching. Nobody really knew him. Verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Now, they're stirred because there's something going on. They all had read their Bibles. They knew their scriptures well. They knew these two verses for sure. And then in verse 11, you see, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And again, remember that Jesus riding on an unbroken colt is a symbol of peace. And Jesus, the Prince of Peace, was coming to do something far beyond raising up an army and kicking out the Romans. And you might be going through some terrible valleys of the shadow of death, but I want to tell you that God is with you, and there is an end game, whatever you're doing. The scriptures even say, and I say this almost every other Sunday, even death to the Christian doesn't have a sting. Because we know there's a greater and a bigger end game that we're going to have. The disciples thought this was going to, that this was what Jesus came to do. He was going to get rid of the Romans. They had no idea that a week later, in fact, they had so not an idea that when Jesus died on the cross, they began, some even began to deny Jesus. Oh, I don't know him. I didn't follow him. They had no idea that he came to bring peace between man and God. So what wrong ideas do you have of Jesus? Oh, if I follow Jesus, I'm going to get rich. Or if I follow Jesus, I will never have any problems again. Oh, if I follow Jesus, I will never get sick and die. Little bit of kind of fact spoiler information. In the last 2,000 years, every Christian has died. Up until now, until Christ comes in the clouds, the trumpet blasts, we're going to die. We're going to get sick. So don't give me... You know, A.B. Simpson, not to speak negative of our founder, but when he, he believed so much in healing and stuff, when he was on his deathbed, he actually had a crisis of faith. I don't know what he thought. But even death doesn't have a sting for Christians. I remember when I was in Bible college, I was a brand new Christian. I honestly thought every Christian was honest and trustworthy and... I remember I had a $50 bill sitting on my dresser, and we never locked our doors, and one day it disappeared. I was devastated. You know, just because you call yourself a Christian, you're still in process. We, we have the orthodoxy, but maybe you've been struggling with light fingers. Maybe you're the one that stole my 50 bucks. Hey, there were some people in this church that went during that time. Maybe you took, no, I'm just joking. Maybe you think Jesus is a soft, cuddly cloud. I said that to my wife, and I said, what do you think of that statement? She goes, have people ever read the book of Revelation? Jesus is portrayed a little bit different there. Oh, Jesus loves us. He came. He's a prince of peace, all that kind of stuff. But there's other sides to Jesus, too. Jesus is more than a good luck charm. He is way more than that. He wants a relationship with you. It isn't about religion. It's not about the ritual. It's not about the doctrines. It's also about the relationship. 
It's about hearing his voice and letting him speak to you. It's about not buying the van that you shouldn't buy. Somebody after first service says, so what did you end up buying? Oh, I said it was a Dodge and it didn't turn out to be that great either. I guess I didn't listen very good. What'd you buy after that? I bought another Dodge, I said, and it didn't turn out that good. So when I joke about your Dodges, maybe I got some healing I need to do. As we look to some of the other accounts of Jesus and Palm Sunday, we start to get a little bit bigger of a picture. And we start to see, as you have your Bibles turned to John chapter 12, we start to see verse 19. We start to see that even the gates of hell will be pushed back. John 12, 19, it's the very end of John's description, and he's already talked about the palm branches. And he says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Oh, the Pharisees had no idea. And Christianity is still expanding. To the, we, we look in Canada, go, oh, it's not going so well. Well, I can tell you around the world, it's going really well. Iran, in 1973, there was something like 100 or 300 Christians. Today, there's 1.5 million minimum Christians in Iran. The gospel has never taken root like it has in the last 30 years. I had the most interesting, cool experience. My father-in-law, uh, he passed away last summer in his 90s, but he was a missionary in Ecuador, and, and uh, for so, a lot of his time in Ecuador, he was up in the mountains, and uh, he did a lot of ministry in an area called Colta Lake. And uh, Colta Lake is basically this lake up in the mountains with communities all around the lake because it's good water and good fishing. He left there in 1967, and it ended suddenly, and it was disappointing. Another whole story, doesn't matter what happened. But whenever my father-in-law spoke about Ecuador, it was with pain and with sorrow, disappointment. He just loved the people, wished he could go back. So I had been doing church partnership evangelism. I had done, taken two teams to Ecuador, to Quito, and I arranged a third team to go work in Ecuador, and I asked my father-in-law if he would like to come on the team with my mother-in-law, and they came. So this is the first time he'd been back to Ecuador since 1967. So we did evangelism for a week, and over 100 people prayed to receive Christ. My father-in-law, I believe, led 30 people to Christ. So it just did his heart good. He got to speak Spanish finally again. And uh, so on the weekend, we were done what we were going to do. And so we drove up to this Colta Lake area. And we had a missionary that was still doing ministry there. And he knew this area. And we're driving around the lake. And the missionary goes, oh, there's a church of 200. Drove 10 blocks. There's a church of 500. Drove 10 blocks. There's a church of 100. Drove 10. It was just all the way around the lake. And it was just unusual. It was really weird. And my father-in-law is just blinking, like tears in his eyes. Because when he left in 1967, now 1910 is when ministry started in that area. And in 1967, they had a handful of Christians. So 60 years of Nothing. He comes back 30 years later, and there's church after church after church after church. So we drive into a town, I've got to get the name right, Cajabamba, and uh, it's, a, it's a small city close by these lakes where everybody comes to shop. We want to go to the market. My father-in-law stays in the van. 
He's this old white guy, kind of stick out way up in the mountains there. And this other old guy comes up with his cane up to the van, taps on the window. Hi, who are you? And now the guy that came up with the cane, he had been the mayor of the city for 30 years or something. And my father, when he tells my father, my father, I speak in Spanish, he gets to do that. And uh, he, he says to the guy, 30 years. Now, if you understand what happened, especially in Ecuador, when they elected somebody, they would fill their bank accounts up as full as they can through corruption and bribes, and then they'd get, somebody else would get voted in. It's just the way, so every four years, somebody new was voted in. And my father was like, how in the world did you last 30 years? And he said, I became a Christian, he said. And I took the money that I got, and I invested in town. He goes, you know, that city hall there, I helped build that, that school over there, I helped build that. The, and he went on and on, and he said, I kept loving the people in Jesus' name, and they kept electing me in. You see, and this is really important to understand, Jesus knows stuff, and Jesus was working, and my father never got to see it until years later, and a lot of us will never get to see that, we will never understand that. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody know who led Billy Graham to Christ? After first service, somebody sent me a whole story of it, and by the way, it's an incredible story. No, you don't know who it is. How about, how about the Canadian guy who started the Alliance Church, A.B. Simpson? I don't know who, he was Presbyterian. Somebody led him to Christ. I remember reading his testimony. Now there's over one and a half million people attending Alliance churches and lots of other movements. Uh, the Alliance has been one of the movements credited with the missionary, the recent missionary push in the last hundred or so years. How about the guy who shared the gospel with Menno Simon? Anybody Mennonite background here? A few of you are. You don't have to put up your hand. Don't want you to admit it. No, I'm teasing. But if you're Mennonite, you know that Menno Simon, he was a Catholic priest. And he went from that to a believing relationship with Jesus. Who did that? You see, the gospel is being pushed out. And listen to, in Luke's account, as we read about Palm Sunday, and it's right near the end of his account, but he he talks about how the, the stones will cry out. Luke 19.39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, now it's interesting how one guy telling his story, the Pharisees, you know, tell them to be quiet uh, or tell them to, uh, or they complain that this gospel is just Jesus becoming popular. Now listen, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Here's what Jesus answers. I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Just a little warning, if you ever hear a stone talk, it might be because you're not sharing Jesus. That terrifies, you might go, that'll never happen. I don't know. I've seen Jesus and his statements and it's incredible it happens. Now, when I was in Tumblr Ridge, I had been sharing the gospel with, well, no, I, I had becoming friends with the guy. I had never shared the gospel with him. For one whole year, I took him for lunch. He worked at the local grocery store. I took him for coffee. I used to phone him up. We'd go golfing together, whatever it is. And we did all sorts of stuff together, but I never shared Jesus with him. And one day, we had a missionary conference. We had a missionary come to town. We didn't have a building, so we had it at my house. And can you imagine that? And uh, so the missionary came, and I invited people to come. I put posters uptown. One of the guys in town, he was a Pentecostal. I say that jokingly. If you're Pentecost background, I love you. He was a Pentecostal. He saw the poster. He decides to invite this guy to my missionary thing. And the guy says yes. 
So they show up at my house. I think it was Tuesday night or something. And I'm going, oh, like, hi. And I'm thinking, you dirty rat. He's mine. Get your claws out of him. I want to lead him to Christ. They go sit down in the living room. I sit down. I small talk, chat a little. My wife's going, we need some more coffee. So I get up and go to make some more coffee. I look in my living room, and they're praying. And I'm going, oh, he better not be leading them to Jesus in my living room. I've been working with them for a year. Sure enough, I go over there, and my, this Pentecostal goes, guess what? He just, he just prayed to receive Jesus. And I almost, I wanted to poke him in the eye, just like that. In this case, it wasn't a rock, but it was a Pentecostal. And God had him cry out. Jesus loves the lost sheep. And if we don't love the lost, then Jesus is not in us. If we're not being bold and walking with the Spirit and letting him guide us, he's going to bring somebody into your living room. And somebody's going to lead them to the Lord. Listen to how Luke explains it. A lot better than me in this text. Jesus' view of the loss in verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, listen to this, he wept over it. This is the city that Jesus knows one week later he's going to hang on a cross after being horribly punished. He knew Isaiah 53. He was led before a shear by his stripes. He knew he was going to be beaten and wept. He knew he was going to be hung. So here he is. He weeps over Jerusalem. And he said, even you, even you had only known on this day that what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on the other because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He wept over Jerusalem. They didn't recognize what was coming. Oh, back to the book, Hind's Feet on High Places. Now, much afraid, or should I speak of her now by her renamed Grace and Glory name? It's kind of, it's an allegorical book, so it kind of sounds really weird. Now, anybody read the book, by the way? Hind's Feet in High Places. You just identified you're over 50, by the way. So now I know how old you are. It's an old book. So much afraid, she gets to this point in the book where she's just completely transformed. In fact, she looks down at her broken, crippled legs and they're now hinds feet from a, from a mountain goat. And she can walk through any hill, up any mountain, go through any problem, any valley of shadow of death. She is a transformed woman. And she's been given now the name of grace and glory. And she looks down from the mountaintop. And she sees her old home valley called Humiliation. And the village of much trembling that she grew up in. And she is overcome by thoughts of her family. And suddenly realizes that although she had simply assumed them to be evil and malicious, they are actually miserable. And in spiritual pain, she begs the king, the shepherd, to allow her to go tell her family about her transformation from a broken, afraid person to a person of grace. You might be at different parts of your journey. Maybe you don't have the hind's feet yet. 
We as a church have been, especially in the last three or four years, changed hearts, changed lives. We have been laying drinking fountains or, or water troughs or whatever you want to say all over the place. We, we want to give you the tools that at whatever age you are, I mean, I've shared enough of my own stories about how God's still healing me from some of my brokenness and trauma. Oh, the other day I was having a good conversation with somebody who was coming to me with their concerns. And about an hour in, I just chuckled a little bit. And they're like, why are you chuckling? And I said, you know, a year ago, I would have been ready to choke you. Because I didn't take what I thought was false accusations well. And I say, I'm not saying whether your accusations are false or not, but my perception. And he goes, and? And I said, God's healed me. I said, keep bringing it on. Keep talking. You know, God wants to, Jesus knows things. And he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to sing you songs. He, he wants you to be in the word and let the word be alive and sharper than a double-edged sword, cutting even to marrow of the bone. He, he wants you to be just unbelievably active and alive and being careful when you buy a van or go into a business or in a friendship or a relationship, always talking to God. Or here's a good one. When you're on social media, this last week I wanted to post something. God said, nope. Nope, don't do that. It's not loving. You just want to be a jerk. And I'm like, oh, come on. I'm just, you know, we come up with the arguments. Like, that van is so nice. But people need to know this truth. They need to know that that politician is so stupid. (laughs) And God's going, yeah, and you're so prideful. You're so arrogant. Get some humility, Anthony. See, this is a relationship with Jesus. He knows stuff, and he can help you and grow you. We, we have home groups, youth groups, Sunday school, senior groups. We have set free that we just, we've done two of them now, and they've just been incredible. Talk to anybody that's gone through them. We have Soul Care coming up. I think it's April 21st. If you go into the uh, Church Center app, you can sign up for that. We just trained 20 people to use discerning prayer to help people experience more of Jesus and more healing in Jesus' name. The rocks will cry out. The rocks will cry out. Jesus is going to push back the gates of hell and hopefully he doesn't bring somebody into your living room to make a point. He wants to use you. He wants to be in a relationship with you. He doesn't want to wait till you're great-grandchildren finally get enough of Jesus that they're okay. He wants people to look at you and go, something's going on in you. Uh, uh, Whatever is happening, like, like, what are you doing? And you can go, oh, let me tell you about Jesus. He's my Savior. Here's the conclusion. Jesus is triumphant. There's the orthodoxy. Here comes the orthopraxy. Does your attitude and life show it? Are you being transformed? Are you gonna start giggling halfway through a conversation that a a year ago you know you would have just, I'm from Fort St. John, we're just blunt, we're just abrupt, you know? Or are you gonna have the Holy Spirit saying, shh, shh, reword that, Anthony, fix that. Oh, don't get me wrong, I'm far from perfect. I still am reminded once in a while by People, you know, you could have said that a little better. Here's how you could have said it. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Second last thought. 
Does your Facebook feed, and I should have said, does your social media feed show you love people like Jesus? Does your social media feed show you love? Now, I know there's a place where we have to get truth out. Trust me, I know. But you'll be surprised how many times Jesus said, nope, nope, that's not loving. Nope, they're going to take that wrong. Nope, you're just going to make them mad. Nope. You know, and, and he probably will say to you, why don't you pray about this? Well, why don't you pray about them? Why don't you, you know, if you're frustrated with our premier, our prime minister, our mayor, your pastor, why don't you pray? That's way more powerful than anything else. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, oh, Jesus, you know things, and you want a relationship with us, and I know I haven't always heard you right, but I'm getting better at it the older I get. It doesn't take very much for you to get my attention anymore. Oh, but there's days, oh God, I can go days where I just live in my flesh. I'm full of myself, I'm arrogant, I'm proud. And oh, I, oh, when you reveal that to me, I feel so sorry for the people around me. Oh God, may we walk in the Spirit. <laughs> Maybe we, we be in your word. May we be in constant communication, Jesus, with you. You have told us. You told the disciples you had to go away so that your Holy Spirit could come. And the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, would be our counselor. He would be the one that gives us power to overcome. And we would be changed and transformed. Oh, God, help us to know you, Jesus, like we've read so many others and how they walked with you. Anybody, anybody can have an intimate relationship with Jesus because you loved us so much that you died on the cross that I might have life and have it to the full. And you rose again on the third day to prove that you had the power to do it. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. Please stand with me. So we are going to be having a series starting the Sunday after Easter called Jesus Is. Jesus is the Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. And uh, my desire as a pastor is that it's going to bring us together. So we have devotional books and there's a table outside that you can grab them. You can sign up to be in a four-week life group just to go through the material. Um, and, and again, so we'll be preaching through sermons. I won't be preaching all of them. Some of the material is actually the staff have helped put it together. It's really well done stuff. You're going to enjoy it. May I just encourage you to do that. Next Sunday or next Friday is Good Friday service, 10 o'clock. You're all welcome to come. Uh, tonight, of course, is our prayer summit. Remember? Remember. Sounds like I'm Fort St. John. I leave the R off. Remember? Remember this? I'm three years old. Remember this? Tonight is prayer summit. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. So please come and pray. Last week we had over, we had a hundred and some here in the auditorium, a hundred online. So catch us online. Starts at six o'clock. Um, and always remember the altar is always open. We have Sean. Nobody on that side yet. You're going to be praying for them all, Sean. You're good with that. You just need to get things right with God, or you just need to come by yourself to the altar and say, you know what, I, hear, I, I felt the Holy Spirit, you might say. It's not me. If you feel anything, it's not me. I'm not that good. I really am not, and I know that. But I know that my God is that good. So maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to you. You need to just get down here 
go, yeah, I, I got a real dry Christianity. I, I need some new life. I've been doing everything on my own, and it's not going so great. So just get down there. Sean would love to pray for you. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which I most often end with, says, May God himself, the God of peace, you know, the guy that wrote The Untamed Colt, May he sanctify you. And I have to end with this because a sermon like this sounds like it's all this effort. Really what I'm asking you to do is just to stop trying to run your own life and let Jesus in. May he sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, not to the second and third generation. May it happen to you. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Amen? Fellowship in peace.